You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Continuing to work our way through this letter that the Apostle John wrote to the churches of his day. And of course, they were relevant to his day, but we also believe these Letters are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are relevant for our day as well. Most Bible teachers consider John to be one of the younger disciples that Jesus chose. Uh, Many cast him probably as a kind of a teenager when he first started as a disciple, maybe a, a late teens disciple when he was called as a fisherman, just a young fisherman working in the family business, Jesus called him to be a disciple. And now as he writes this letter, he is in his 80s, possibly even his 90s. So we have the whole experience of John's life, not only as, you know, the the witness to Jesus and his ministry, but then just all the years of watching how the early church began to grow and experience the kingdom advancing throughout all the world. And so these words come to us with really some some maturity, a seasoned apostle, the elder statesman of the faith. And of course, not only that, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. I've entitled today's message. Now we're going to be looking today at verses four through nine, just a a short uh, passage from this chapter three. And I've entitled the message, The Jesus Effect. The Jesus effect. You're going to see these words are going to be very, very strong from the apostle. And as if to say, listen, when Jesus comes into your life, he has an impact. If Jesus is truly in your life, in your heart, and you have truly come into saving faith and relationship with him, it's going to make a difference in the way that you live. It can't be avoided. You can't have Jesus and have no effect in your life. It's not possible. Jesus affects those hearts and lives that he touches and that he saves. And John is going to speak to that. Now, we can kind of put it in context. You remember what we looked at in recent weeks in in verse 1 of chapter 3. John said, Behold what manner of love The Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. John just expounds the love of God, how great the salvation is, that God has adopted you and I into family relationship with Him, sons and daughters of the living God. But this love, this adoption, this relationship, John is going to let us know, listen, it changes you. It has impact on your life. You are a new creature a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul would say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A relationship with Christ is life-changing. Jesus is not someone that we just kind of add into the mix of our life. Jesus becomes the essence of our life. The apostle would say this, and again, you don't need to turn. I'll just quote these for you quickly before we look at our text. The apostle would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, this is the apostle Paul again. 
He says, listen, we've been buried with Christ through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I've got baptism fresh on my mind. We've just had done a, we did one here at our own church, and I just, as I mentioned, was up in Sacramento doing a baptism. So this imagery is very fresh, and it just reminds me, Lord, baptism is a picture of burying the old man and raising up in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. And that's what John is going to say. Listen, you children of God, You that have been loved by God with such a wonderful love that's made you his sons and daughters. Listen, your life's going to be changed now. Jesus is going to have impact. There's going to be a Jesus effect in your life. Before we look at the text and read it, as I kind of warned you, it's it's pretty intense. You'll You'll see that as we read through it. I think that there's a couple of things that I kind of want you to think about working our way through. One, there is a warning here. And the warning is that there are some who are professing to be Christians. There are some who are claiming to have relationship with Christ. But the evidence of a changed life is revealing that they don't have the relationship that they claim. Now that's a strong warning. And the apostle minces no words here. But there's also, I believe, an encouragement for the true believers and those who are sincere in their walk and relationship with Christ. And that is that God is changing you and God is going to continue to change you. Jesus is going to continue to have effect in your life. Take a a look with me and we'll look verses 4 through 9 and then we'll come back and kind of divide it up into a few sections. Verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. As I mentioned, pretty intense language here, John. Wow. He who sins has never seen God, doesn't know God. He who sins is of the devil. Well, let's just kind of talk about this generally. John, what are you saying? Are you suggesting that somehow a Christian is to walk in some sinless perfection all the rest of his life? I hope he's not saying that. How about you? I don't believe that he is. But yet there is something that to these words, look, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. He who sins is of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. He cannot sin. How are we to interpret this? Is John saying that that we must walk now in perfection 
as Christians? Well, as I mentioned, I don't believe that's what he's saying. We can really just kind of, you could, you could go back, you don't need to, but I'll, I'll quote it to you. You remember what he said to us in this letter already back in chapter 1 and, and verse 2. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John acknowledges that even as believers, we have sin in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He would go on to say in chapter 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So John is already included in this letter. Look, Christians, there are going to be occasions when you sin. Christians still do sometimes sin, even willfully. Sometimes Christians even wrestle with certain sins and habits that kind of plague them and they have to kind of work through them by the grace of God. John is not saying that, 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 that anyone who sins doesn't know God. Rather, you must understand the content, the the tense of the verbs that are used here. And in in the Greek language, there's a little more uh, insight than we can often bring into the English translation. But let let me give you some of that information. According to the verb tense John uses, this when he says, does not sin, what he mean what what it communicates is that The believer does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. John is speaking of a settled, continual lifestyle of sin. One Greek expert says the present tense in the Greek verb implies habit, continuity, unbroken sequence. So in this passage, the verbs related to sin are all in the present tense, indicating continuous habitual action. In other words, John is not referring to occasional acts of sin, but to established and continual patterns of sinful behavior. The NIV translates those phrases, keeps on sinning, continues to sin. He cannot go on sinning. So to understand what John is saying, he's trying to communicate this. Listen, You that have become children of God in sincerity, you're not going to relate to sin the way you always have. You're not going to continue to live in a habitual pattern of stubborn, unrepented sin. It can't be possible that you could come into relationship with Christ and there be no change manifested in your lifestyle. Will you sin on occasion? Yes. Do we all fall short? Yes. But are you, are you still where you used to be before you knew him in that kind of stubborn, hard-hearted, unrepentant sin? I, you can maybe remember a time when you were sinning and you felt no conviction about it. You, you were happy to be sinning. You couldn't wait to get to the next occasion for sinning. When you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that changes. You may still have issue. You may still have shortcomings. But you're no longer that, you know, kind of hard, continual pattern and lifestyle of sin. John is saying that changes. I want to look at, that's kind of the general statement over this text. I want to give you four specific thoughts, all relating to Jesus and what he does listed here for us in the text. The first thing is that Jesus takes away sin. Jesus takes away sin. Look again with me, verse four. 
Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. John defines again what sin is. Listen, church family, he's writing to believers, sin is lawlessness. Don't get comfortable. Don't accommodate sin. Don't imagine, well, everybody has mistakes. That's true. Uh, You know, nobody's perfect. That's true. But don't forget that sin is a rebellious breaking of God's command and law. Sin is something that Jesus came to die on the cross for. Well, I'm a, you know, nobody's perfect, but I'm, I'm a really good person. Well, listen, some, some good person, some really nice people, if they don't get their hearts right with God and receive mercy from Christ, their goodness, their niceness is not going to cover their sin because that's lawlessness. You have broken God's moral law. And John lets us know, sin is lawlessness. Don't forget this, even as a believer, but especially those that often try to make excuse for themselves that are outside the faith. Because Jesus was manifested. He came to the earth. He put on human flesh. He lived among us to take away our sins. Jesus came to take and solve this sin problem. He died on the cross for my sin, for your sin. This taking away of sin, Jesus comes to take away the record of sin. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God's not looking to keep score on the sin. God is looking to to erase the record. He comes to take away the penalty of sin. Jesus himself bore on the cross. That which was to punish man. Jesus took the penalty. He was the substitution for sin. He was the Lamb of God offered to take the penalty of what you and I deserved upon himself. Even though, as John says, he knew no sin. He also takes away the power of sin. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Sin, Bible says, shall no longer have dominion over you. The truth is, when you and I were living in sin, even if we wanted to change, we were unable to change. You might have been able to make some adjustments by willpower and force of habit, but truthfully, we couldn't really remedy our own sinfulness, even when we thought we needed to, should. We couldn't. Jesus has come and broke, has broken that power. He has set you free from that bondage. You can, by the grace of God, come into freedom from habitual sins. God can set you free. And, of course, that's part of what he's come to take away. His life is sinless. This is what allows him to become the substitute for us. In him there is no sin. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus became a man, but he did not bring the sinful nature of man with him. In fact, in, instead, he brought the divine nature with him. He was the God-man. Jesus, uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
John says back in our text, whoever abides in him does not sin, and I'm just going to paraphrase, does not continually, habitually, stubbornly remain in his sinful habits, because if that's the case, somebody living in that condition has neither seen him nor known him. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet there be no effect in your life. Now listen, we don't clean our life up to have relationship with Him. The relationship with Him automatically has impact in our life because things become new. The Spirit of God begins to transform our life. There is an impartation of life that comes to us. We'll talk about that some more as well. And John is simply saying, look, don't kid yourselves, guys. Real faith in Christ shows up in your, in your life. You don't do it to gain relationship, but because of the relationship, God goes to work. Jesus has an effect. He's come to take away sin, not just what he paid for at the cross, but its power, its impact, its infiltration into our lives. Its power has been broken. No matter what you profess, If these things are not happening, John says, you've not seen him and you don't really know him. It's just not possible. You know, there's some things when you you come into contact or when they're kind of come into your life, you can't not be affected by them. Or just think of natural things that come into your life. I've got a little granddaughter that's visiting. Let me tell you, when my two-year-old granddaughter is in the house Everybody in the house knows she's in the house. Evie's in the house. I mean, she is just an impactful child. We all, you know, she's like the first grandchild and she needs constant attention and, and you got to watch over her, you know? And so we're just, it's just like to say that Evie's in the house and no one notices would be impossible, right? And so it is with our relationship with Christ. Listen, when Jesus moves into your life, it, you cannot not be affected. And that's what John is trying to to draw out. The second thing about Jesus coming into your life, one, he takes away sin. Secondly, I believe he imparts righteousness. Look again at verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Well, this is interesting. And a couple of things that that I, I, I think have application. In the same way that Jesus begins to have an impact on the sinful conduct, those things we want to stop doing, those things that we need him to forgive and cleanse us for, he also brings a positive impact into your life. He imparts something to us. It's not all about what you need to stop doing. It's also about what God wants to start doing. These acts of righteousness. God wants to bring about right living into your life, a stable and peaceful home and heart and mind. God wants to impart something to you. And in fact, he has. The Bible tells us that righteousness has been credited to our account the moment we come to true faith in Jesus. The Bible uses the word imputed. It's a banking term. It means added to your account. It's not just that God erases the debts. God also credits righteousness into your account, right standing with God. It's the righteousness that we receive from Christ. 
So there is this spiritual standing that we have in Christ. But I think also John is saying something practical here. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. There's going to be a practical change beginning to manifest in your lifestyle. God is going to begin to show, uh, show up in your conduct. You know, it's not just that you no longer you know, use, let's say, profanity, but you also now have a grace to speak life and encouragement. Where'd that come from? Where, 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 did, where did I find the ability to, to actually minister good things through my heart, through my life? You know, as I mentioned, I was up for the baptism there in Sacramento. And as I was standing there before Blake and all of his teenage friends there and the family, you know, just kind of in the back of my mind, I was just kind of thinking, Lord, how did I end up here? <laughs> you know, how is it that I get to do this, Lord? What is it that, you know, you've not only cleansed my life and saved me from my sin, but now you're actually empowering me, gifting me, giving me opportunity to affect acts of righteousness, good works that God has prepared for me to walk in. Such a privilege. And of course, you can't do these things in your own strength. I have no right to be there baptizing my nephew except by the grace of God. He gave me that opportunity. And what a blessing to see that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Wow. God wants to fill your life with such grace. Not just cleanse you and forgive you and remove the the, the shame and, and, and the penalty for sin. God wants to grace you that you might live out righteous acts in Christ. Good deeds, good things. God wants to equip you for things that you could never do in your own strength. Real change, real opportunity, real ministry that could flow through you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Boy, I don't know about you, but I, I want to grow in the practice of righteousness. I have room to grow. I need the Lord to continue to expand my righteousness, which is really not mine, but it's his. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better pastor. I'm thankful my wife is saying amen to the husband part. You know, listen, we're, we're all works in progress, right? But listen, this is what Jesus is imparting. God, God's at work in you. I want to do better, but I'll tell you, I'm so glad I'm not where I used to be. And that's a good encouragement for all of you. All of you can say today, boy, I need help in these areas. But you can also look back if you've had a season with the Lord and you can say, boy, thank God for what he's done. Look at how he's used your life. Look at how he's changed your life. Look at the effect that Jesus has had. Jesus imparts righteousness. The third thing that we notice here is that Jesus destroys the works of the devil. I like this one. Look at verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Now again, John issues the warning. Listen, if you're continuing in this constant, sinful, unchanged lifestyle, you may think that you're a Christian, but honestly, you're still living under the influence of the devil. You haven't really come out of what Jesus has tried to set you free from. You're still walking in these things. And John says, look, that's not, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the work of the devil. He's been, he's been sinning from the beginning. He rebelled against the Lord. He came against, uh, he rose up against God. He, he was there in the garden tempting man to sin in the beginning. And John is pointing that out. Listen, you can't be a child of God and still a servant of the devil. But then he lets us know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said this in John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan wants to destroy your life. Satan wants to entangle you in sin and keep you there. Because he knows that sin brings death. Sin rips you off. Sin brings uh, trouble into your life. And Jesus wants you to have abundant life free from those things. He's destroyed the work of the devil. In your life and in all who will put their faith in him, Satan uses deceit. Satan uses uh, lying. Satan uses accusation. These things that the enemy tries to do to challenge God's word and promise in your heart. Things that, God, that's, that Satan does to try and guilt and heap condemnation upon your heart. Now this works both in those that do not know the Lord and unfortunately sometimes even those who do know the Lord. This is the way it works sometimes in those who don't know the Lord. They imagine that their life is too far gone to even consider coming into a relationship with God. And maybe you've met some of those people. Maybe there's some of you here even today that you imagine that, you know, this Christianity, Jesus, forgiveness, that all sounds good, but not for me. I think I'm just too far gone. I've done too much. It's been too long. I'm disqualified. Maybe you've heard people say things like this. Me go to church? I don't think so. You don't want me walking into that building. Who knows? The, the roof will cave in. Lightning will strike, right? They imagine in their heart and their mind, and I think it comes from the whisperings of the devil. Don't even think about it, dude. You're too far gone. It's too late for you. And that's the work of the devil, trying to keep you away from the truth and the power of the gospel. But it can also find root and lodge even in a believer's life. I know this because I've experienced this in my own journey. For many years as a young Christian, my early years, times of up and down and backsliding, I came to a place where I imagined, although I was now saved and living for the Lord and, and really wanting to serve Him, that, that somehow the weight of my past failures would always be with me. And that there would just be some things in my relationship with God, some areas of ministry that would always be off limits because I felt a weight of condemnation upon my shoulders. And that wasn't coming from the Lord. That wasn't the Holy Spirit disqualifying me. That was Satan's accusations deceiving me, causing me to believe those things. 
Because the Bible says this in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That work of the devil, if you're a believer here today, and you've got the devil whispering in your ear that you need to feel the guilt and shame of, and condemnation of past trials, don't you believe it. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Paul would go on to say in Romans 8.33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who's going to accuse you? God's the one that says you're, you're innocent. He's justified you. Is there a higher court? Is there a higher judge or authority? Oh, yeah, but you don't understand. Who needs, God is the one that's justifying you. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sin and is now raised, seated in glory, interceding for you. He's your advocate in heaven. You know, you don't need to come under the weight and guilt of those things that the devil would try to weigh you down with. Fourth and finally here today, Jesus imparts new life. Look again with me, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin... For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. John is stating very plainly, listen, you that have come into saving faith with Jesus Christ, you are born again. God has deposited something of himself within you. His seed, his life-giving word and spirit and truth have now taken up residence in your life, and you are changed. That's why you can't keep living in perpetual sin. He, he says that you're not going to remain in sin. And in fact, you cannot sin. Now, this again does not mean that you can't occasionally sin or we have no ability to sin. What it means is, look, once God begins to get a hold of your heart, he kind of ruins you for sinning. How many of you discovered that? I can't, I can't sin like I used to. I still sin, but boy, I'll tell you, I'm so miserable when I sin. I just can't do that anymore, right? And so I begin to fight it. I begin to resist it. I begin to come against it. You remember the time when you couldn't wait to get to it again. Oh, I'm looking forward to the next opportunity. But now, oh, I, I can't do that. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, I want to change. I want to be free of this. Lord, I need you to deliver me from this. John is saying, for the one that's been born of God, you cannot live that way anymore because God, the Holy Spirit, is living in you and he simply will not rest and let you live that way. Have you ever been hounded by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever felt the, the, the Spirit of God just kind of like making you miserable? <laughs> Thanks, Lord. This used to be a lot of fun. Now it's just this bummer. Right? And that's the, that's the work of God. Now listen, Christian, you can also come into a place where sin, some habit, some stronghold becomes difficult for you to be free of. I believe this is a word of encouragement to you. God is at work in you. 
Maybe you're not where you want to be today, but I believe that God is not finished. You're going, God is going to set you free. If you will set your heart after him. Now, if you're, if you're playing games with God and you're kind of secretly not really wanting to change, well, then you're going to continue to wrestle. But for the heart that sincerely desires to be free, I believe that this life that is in you, this seed, Peter said, that you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That God, by his word, by his spirit, is going to begin to transform you and give you victory. I would say don't give up. Don't, don't accommodate it. Don't surrender. Oh, well, I tried to change. I couldn't. Just going to have to live with it. Don't settle. No, you cannot. Bible says you cannot live that in that place. You may have to wrestle. You may have to fight. You may have to resist. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, keep resisting. You haven't resisted to the point of bloodshed yet. You haven't hung on a cross yet, right? Keep fighting until the Lord gives you victory because he has already broken its power. And the life that he has deposited in you is greater than the things that you're wrestling with, right? We'll see that later in this very letter. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Now, just as a, as a way of encouragement, not to embarrass anybody, I did this in the first service too, and I, I think it's just true of everyone in their Christian journey. These are part of the wrestlings that we have to have, we have to see God bring us through. If you're here today, and at some time in your Christian life, you wrestled with a, a sin, well, well, a, a sin that just continued to kind of stumble you and trip you up. And you may have wrestled with it for a long season, but in time, you've walked with the Lord now, you have seen by the grace of God, by his power, you have seen that he has brought you to a place of victory over that past sin that used to so trouble you. If that describes any part of your Christian life, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. Okay, now look around. Just keep it up there a minute. And look around. We're, we're all projects, right? We're all, we're all just, you know, projects. God's kind of working on everybody. So don't be discouraged. John doesn't say these things to, to make us feel condemned. John, John says these things, I think, as a warning for those that are pretending. But I believe that he says these things to encourage sincere believers. Listen, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. You're going to be free. And listen, there's coming a day when you're going to be completely free. You're going to see him as he is and you're going to be like him. That's the hope. That's the journey. Don't quit. Don't give up. We've come full circle. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, you can change, you are changing, you will continue to change. Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, that he was confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we consider this text this morning and 
Lord, I have to say, this passage has something of an edge on it. And we know that the Bible is, the Word of God is sharp like a two-edged sword. And so today, Lord, it kind of speaks very candidly to this idea of pretending. This idea of professing something in Christ, but it's not really manifesting, showing up in the life. And so, Lord, my heart goes out. Maybe there are some here today that just needed to hear that. Maybe they've been professing to be a Christian. Maybe they thought, well, I raised my hand once at a service. I went forward at a Billy Graham or a Harvest Crusade. I come to church on occasion. I'm a Christian. But maybe today these passages have illuminated you to realize, you know what? I'm not really living the changed life that is indicative of a Christian. I claim to know him. I claim to to be with him. But the Bible says, if I'm still living as unchanged, I don't know him. And you may be here today and the Lord is calling you. Listen, it's time to know me for truth, in truth, in sincerity. It's time to really invite this changing Jesus into your life. And I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here and You've never invited Christ into your life and you know that the Lord is knocking on your heart today and saying, come, it's time to be set free. I'm going to pray and before I do, I'm I'm going to give, give an opportunity for a response. And I have kind of two areas. One is this, the individual that just needs to be born again. Maybe you thought you were, but in truth, this morning, today, you know you're not. And you need to be and you want to be. It's not too late. The Lord will receive you right here, right now. Maybe you've never invited him into your life. I want to pray for you. So that's the first response, those that need to be born again. And I also want to pray for those that may need victory over the works of the devil. And my thought here is you may be someone who is wrestling with the condemnation of the past. Maybe the shame and guilt of things you've done. Now you are a believer. You do see God working in your life. There is change happening. You are a child of God. And yet the past still haunting you. And that's, I believe, the work of the devil, not the Lord. You need that deliverance today. I'd like to pray for you. Maybe, maybe the work of the devil in your life is a stronghold of sin. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I've, I've got this issue and I just need, I need to be free from it. I want to be. I'm trying to, but it's, I just haven't been able to break free. And I need Jesus to just break the chains that are binding me. And, and it's, that's what Jesus came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. So, you're here today, you need to be born again. You're here today, and you need victory over the work of the devil in your life. Walk in the full freedom that Christ has for you. Then I want to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. If you're here today, and that's your heart, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated. And I'm going to pray for you. number of hands. All throughout, really, quite a few today.
Just leave it up there just for a minute. I'm going to just pray in a moment, but I want to give opportunity. Anybody else? Amen. 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 All right, let me pray. So, Lord, today I, I thank you for your word to us. Today I thank you for this text. It speaks very strongly, but, Lord, so, so beautifully into our hearts today. There may be some here right now, Lord, that need to just receive Christ. Some that have never received him. Some that maybe just haven't been sincere in receiving him. And for those hearts today, I pray, God, that you would minister to them the truth of your love for them. That they would say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I don't want to play games. Jesus, I don't want to pretend. I can't afford to be a pretender, a poser. I need you in my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And begin to change me. Begin to impart that grace that will affect a change in my life. I want the Jesus effect full on in my heart. Not just the mercy, not just the the forgiveness, but I want the change. I want to live the life you've called me to live. Help me to do it by your grace. Lord, I pray that you would meet those hearts, the, the hearts that are, Lord, re, uh, responding because they're, they're wanting you to set them free from the work of the devil. God, whether it's condemnation, whether it's some habit that the devil has said, you'll never break, you'll never be free, don't even, just quit trying, quit believing. Or whatever it is, whatever the enemy is trying to oppress and try to cloud and speak accusation and deceit. Lord, I pray that you would set the mind free. The Bible talks about taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. The tearing down of strongholds. The tearing down everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. The freedom that we have in Christ. The victory that is ours. Jesus, you have defeated the works of the devil. That's why you came. And when you said it is finished, it was finished. Lord, give me the freedom that I long to walk in. Set my mind free. Set my heart free. God, give me the grace now to live in what you have purposed for me. My heart is all in with you, Lord. And I ask you to set me free in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.